Hello, I'm Grayson Bolte, and welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. Before this episode begins, please kindly take a moment to follow and be notified when a new episode is released. On today's episode, I sat down with Al Savage, manager of the Starfire Network for John Deere. Through the Starfire Network, Deere beat the market to develop and commercialize its own global satellite correction network with three centimeter precision, and AI is on the threshold. Yep, John Deere tractors and technology, the impossible is possible. John Deere's been innovating for over 180 years, and they continue to innovate today. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Al. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Kind of excited, man. Perhaps, oh, thank you for saying you're excited. I'm excited because John Deere's a cool company. Your tractors run all over the globe, but at the core, you're a technology company. So I'm super excited to dive into this conversation. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. So for over 180 years, John Deere's been innovating, sustaining the livelihoods of communities around the globe. How is this iconic brand constantly innovating, advancing farming? Because you're always on the leading edge. There's always this, this trend in the media and throughout history. John Deere's always in the front. You're never playing catch up. How are you always able to continue to innovate with this iconic brand that's loved around the world? Well, we like to look at ourselves as maybe being the benchmark, right? We kind of, we kind of started this thing and, and very proud of that as far as from the innovative standpoint. Um, if, you, if you were told that you can do your job easier um, do it quicker, do it more precisely, uh, you know, more, more than likely you're going to jump on board. And so the way that, the way that uh, Deere looked at it was how can we make things a little bit more easier, less redundant uh, on the farm? And so they started looking at things as far as innovation, GPS technology, um, where it can go, where it can take us, uh, what is it as present day? And they started realizing like, man, we can, we can actually take GPS and kind of tie it with all sorts of other gadgets on, on, on a platform and, and turn this thing into an Autobot almost. And it's, it's actually been pretty cool in terms of, of where we want to go. I mean, this is just the, 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 the brink of, of where we're going, man. And as we take a look at this, as far as, you know, where we're going to see this thing, um, it, it's, it's kind of hard to say because you've got so much you want to say in such little time, but we can, we can see this getting a lot more elaborate. Uh, we can see this getting possibly fully autonomous, um, but it, it's, it's pretty exciting in terms of how we're doing this. Uh, have a long legacy of innovation Deer has, and, and, and we hope to keep it that way. Did the GPS revolution inside of Deer happen in 95 when the US military declared fully operational capacity for all 24 satellites in the GPS constellation? Did that kind of start that push when basically you wanna say it was you know, made use for civilian access? I think maybe the recon started then, um, but as far as the, the actual push for it, uh, I think it was 1998 is when Deere stepped in and, and said, hey, we want to kind of go with you guys here, the company that was previously here before Deere acquired us, and, and said, hey, we want to go with you guys here. You guys are top-notch in GPS technology, and this is where we want to go uh, in terms of the innovation of where we want to go in our next evolution. And uh, I think 98 is when it took off. Um, Deere vested in a pretty good amount of money to to expand the network as it was before and how it is today and uh, all the new technologies that come with it, of course. You are at the forefront of one of the most iconic implementations of GPS of all time with the Magellan Hertz never lost. You see the commercials yeah. on TV, <laughs> you see the ads in the newspapers, and it was like, never lost with Hertz. We've got GPS. You were there. What was that incredible journey like? Because that was the coolest, hottest thing in the world for years. You know, it was 
I'll be honest with you, Grace, and it was pretty cool. And what I, and what I couldn't understand is because I got to Magellan in 1999, and at that time, um, it's almost as if GPS was taking off, but it wasn't. The acceptance rate wasn't there, and and it used to blow me away because I started off in tech support and and people would call and and I'm just like, God, I wonder why people are not adapting to this type of technology just yet, right? Um, but then as time went on, uh, you started to notice, as, you know truck drivers would call in, which wasn't a call before, uh, but they would call in and start asking questions about, hey, does this thing come with truck routes or what have you? Uh, you started getting calls from taxi cab drivers. Things started to change as far as the customer environment. That's when I started noticing, okay, this is starting to pick up some steam. Um, what people really wanted was port with the portability as far as mobility of the system. So the Hertz Never Lost system was obviously tied into your vehicle. And we did have a mobile version, but it was like a briefcase, man. <laughs> it was a big old zipper on it. You had to take all these components out of it. And so when we came out at the time, Magellan came out with uh, the Roadmate 700, which was to match the Hertz Neverlaw system, um, it, it took off. It took off. Like, like, I don't think people really had ever saw that before. Um, phone apps weren't really up to speed at that point. And it was just like this phenomenon. Uh, at the time, like maybe early to late, about late 2002 into 2003, it just, it just went crazy. And then everybody started manufacturing. They, they got small. And I'll, I'll tell you a funny side note. First time years ago, I went to Venice and everybody's like, oh, you're going to get lost in Venice. Well, so me being me, I figured out how to get a little <laughs> portable GPS that runs on battery. I didn't get lost because <laughs> I didn't have to pay for the roaming on the cellular. So <laughs> there, was, there was all these really interesting use cases in in gps and then i was driving around italy it, it's i know no idea where i'm going i can't read the signs but this gps got me there yep. do you yep. think from your experience of being there on the front lines that portability was the key like the story i told you was that the key to driving that incredible growth of gps do you think i believe so i believe so because like i said in the beginning people loved the hertz never lost but you would always hear it uh from the customer like god i wish this thing I could I can take it with me. And and then when you were like, well, you can. And they're like, yeah, but not like that. Not in that briefcase. <laughs> so the, the not only portability, but the the ease of portability was also a big play. And so as things got smaller, uh, interest grew bigger. And then another thing I remember when I had it up on the car and the little thing, you put the little sticky thing on there and it would go on your dashboard and you watch it. And then if you're going somewhere, it wasn't on the GPS map. What do you mean? My house is not on the GPS map. I don't know where I'm going. And it kind of ushered in this incredible change in society. It's very similar to what you're doing at Deer where you're, you're ushering in farming. You're making farming more efficient. Did you see these trends of evolving towards efficiency as you segued into Deer and you joined the Starfire team? Do you say, wait a second, there's this incredible opportunity to increase efficiency and do good in the world? I did. And so when I first got here, uh, 2011, uh, I was in product verification and validation. So I was, I was right in it, right in the middle of it. And <clears throat> as you started to watch over time, when I first got here, it was almost as if the GPS was kind of like an accessory. So it was being accepted and, and, and farmers were, were, hey, I need, I need this, this particular accessory. I need this particular accessory. But at the time, it seemed like the, the, the intake rate wasn't as high as it is today. And so as time went on and we were coming out with all these different, uh, these different features that would tie into the GPS, uh, you started seeing demand go up a lot more. 
And it didn't feel like it was a, an accessory anymore. It started to feel like it was a need, it was, an, it was necessary. And so we started to watch that shift in, in not only the, the, the farmer, but in ourselves as far as internally, uh, starting to take a look at it and say, hey, you know what, this is something that when someone comes to buy, you know, $500,000, a million dollars worth of equipment, they want that system on there. And it's, it's just no longer an option. And so you started to see that evolve as well. And so, yeah, we, we started taking part and started seeing it, um, started diving deeper into the technology. And we can see why, because when you started to see how the precision ag would help on the farm compared to some of the stories I'd heard before from some of these farmers, uh, yeah, I can, I can see why it was, it was, it was met with, you know, with open arms. You have this great perspective because you were there in the early days in the GPS and, and the rental car business, which at that time was, was ginormous. And then you were there in the early days in farming and agriculture. Do you ever sit back sometimes and compare and contrast those early days in both industries? And Because you're very unique having perspectives on, on both the, the impact of GPS on those both industries. I, I do. Um, sometimes I'll compare the, the, the experiences from the two, from the two locations. Um, Magellan uh, was more, you know, road, vehicle navigation based, um, strictly GPS, not really autonomous. You know, it was, it was just more of a, a, a GPS guidance. Uh, Deer um, was, was non-vehicle navigation. It wasn't, you know, driving around on the highways and stuff, but it, it had to require a very precise style of application. And so with Magellan, you use just strictly GPS, which is the U.S. constellation. And then with Deer, you, you got to use GNSS, which is Global Navigation Satellite System. So you're using a multitude of constellations uh, to bring you that precision. Um, so there's your change. There's your slight change. But, but they, they both are very similar in technology. Uh, but the, the John Deere side of it is a little bit more in depth uh, for technology because of the accuracy that you need, because of the precision that you need. Is that this, the Starfire network that you're referencing there? That is the Starfire network, yes. Is the whole premise of the Starfire network built around precision? So if you're putting a seed in the ground, the farmer knows exactly where, where that seed is with a very close proximity? Yes, and, and it has a little bit more meaning to it too. Because it's, because it's global-based, um, it's satellite-based, it's augmented, so we kind of take the corrections out. We, we take the errors out of it and make those corrections real time. Um, it's it's also there for redundancy. So if the farmer is doing this where, he's, where he or she is planting, uh, he or she is tillaging, harvesting, what have you, um, the the network, the continuous network as it's sending the stream uh, is there for the farmer to have to, to be able to work throughout the day. If for whatever reason um, we have to come to some sort of a stop, maybe a ground station's not working, maybe one of the satellite vehicles is not working, we did not want to look at that as means of an excuse uh, for you to stop work. And so the Starfire Network, it's, it's, it's pretty huge in its setup. Um, it's, it's got, you know, reference stations all across the globe uh, that we have to upkeep. And, and you got to transfer all that data into, you know, two data centers. And then you take all, that, all the, the corrections and you, you, you wither down to the slightest centimeter accuracy, and then you got to shoot that back up. It's called point to multipoint, which is up to satellites again, and then back down to the end user. And then all that needs to happen in like less than five seconds. Uh, so when you're doing all this, tech, this type of technology, it's, it's built for redundancy, it's built for precision, it's built for accuracy. And so yeah, that's, 
we're very proud of the fact that we were able to not only um, be the benchmark uh, for, for, for you know, satellite-based augmentation networks like this, but to be the innovators as well. We're, we were the first ones. Um, there, as I'm pretty sure you've heard that there, we're one of five, um, and, but we were the original one of five. But this goes back to Deere's history of constant, constantly innovating. To me, I could make the argument it's in, it's in Deere's DNA. You're, you're sitting here. They hired you. You're doing there. You're at the front line of one industry seeing an innovation. You're going into a company with a long 180-year track record innovation. You're continuing to innovate. You said you're one of only five companies to have the global satellite correction network, and you were the first. What did Deere see to say, listen, we the farmers are going to depend on the accuracy and the redundancy we're going to do this. We're going to do this right. How, was that decision made at the board level or, or how was that decision made? I'm going to, not a hundred percent sure, but I'm going to assume it was, it was leadership. I, I give, I give a shout out to our leadership. They're, they're very, very open-minded. Um, they had to be in some form of, in some way, some sort some form of visionary to see that this is where um, ag was going. Uh, in terms of having to bring in this amount of technology. It, it's a scary space when you're trying to do it by yourself in the beginning. And, and for us to just be able to dive in, you know, feet first and, 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 and apply this and, and actually not only um, innovate and be the first ones, but, but to commercialize it, uh, it, it, it feels good. And so I, I, I give a shout out to leadership. I give a shout out to uh, the folks that were there. It's got some of the senior scientists that would say, hey, you know what? Take a look at this from an advanced engineering perspective. I think that we have a place in this. Um, I'm going to assume that that's how it went, <laughs> but but uh, it, it had to be some form of vision to see that this was coming. Uh, and again, it goes back to what I said. If you found a way to make work, that amount of work, uh, more precise, uh, less redundant, and so you can get other things done throughout the day, as busy as farmers are, uh, you're going to be all for it. And, and I think that's exactly what, what Dear Leadership saw. And I'm happy that you pointed out from Dear Leadership that they focused on commercialization, commercializing a product, because you're, you're helping the farmers, but you're also helping your shareholders. And that's something that we don't see a, a lot across autonomy where it's just, oh, it's a science project. And you're like, no, we're John Deere. We're a business. And we're going to commercialize and build a product. So I give your leadership a lot of credit for that. You've mentioned several times that the Starfire Network is extremely accurate. How accurate is that network? Well, I think it's three centimeters, sometimes even less, uh, of accuracy, and that's that's and that's that's, that's really happening. Um, sometimes you you sit back, and, and you know I'm I'm the manager of the network, right? And sometimes I sit back and I go, God, it almost sounds impossible, like what we do, because you know I, I go through some of these presentations when we're giving presentations, and I tell people how it works, and you can see the expressions on people's faces, and they're just kind of like, how is that possible? So. To get that form of accuracy, another shout out to some of our navigation engineers and scientists because it's their logarithms that help with a lot of this. Um, but the 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 genesis of it all, as far as putting together all the pieces in order for this to flow right, um, yeah, you're getting you're getting you know sub inch accuracy. We're we're at three centimeters now. We're trying to shoot for less than that because, uh, like I said, we don't like to sit on our hands. Deer is very innovative, <laughs> so so yeah, for sure, man. It, it's it's an incredible thing. It's, it's, it's incredible to see. It's incredible to understand the structure of how it all works. And then, like I told you earlier, all that stuff has to happen uh, less than five seconds. So it's, 
it's it's almost sounds impossible but it's possible i'm sitting here wrapping my head around the three centimeters and the first thing that comes to my mind is that that's smaller than the size of a caterpillar i mean that is dead accurate well if you're if you're having to you know lay down seed uh you know during during planting season on a five thousand acre farm <laughs> you know you're, you're gonna want to be as dead accurate as possible <laughs> so yeah it's it's something that we have strived to get better and better at um in, in just just in forms of where farmers can use uh, rtk when you know the real-time kinematics of, of it all or they can just use the the, the starfire network stream you know straight out of the sky uh either one is is going to get you that 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 centimeter accuracy uh and that's what we were trying to give the farmers today just more options the farmers calling you up and high-fiving you because how accurate it is because it seems to me it would have a really positive impact on their farming ability so i have i've only had a chance to do a couple of field calls um you know sitting in the engineering office you don't get a chance to to meet your end user a whole lot but i've had a chance to go out there and you know quite honestly man it, it is a great reception it is a great reception i actually was talking to uh, uh, my kids about this because I'll get on a I'll get on a plane and I'm I'm heading to you know, wherever it may be whether it's international or, or or domestic, and if I'm wearing a deer shirt, which a lot of times I'll travel in just some of the relaxed deer shirts, I get people that pat, pass by and hey I love your product pat me on the shoulder, pilots give shout outs, <laughs> so it's actually really really fun and so you you get a good understanding of how much people really appreciate uh, what deer has been able to do for them. Uh, whether it's you know their grandmother or their grandfather or mom or dad that's the farmer, and it's it's just been it's just been the reception's been great. Do the pilots say, Al, wink, wink, nod, come on, we're gonna upgrade you. You got a deer shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I haven't been shown any like special treatment or anything like that. But but they do they do sometimes will come out of the cockpit before we before we start flying and uh, and they'll say, hey, I love your company. You know, I love everything that you guys do, and you know, it's just it's it's. It's uh, it's refreshing to to hear it at times. It goes into the power of the brand. Deers is an iconic global brand. It, it it what the story that you shared is, it's it's awesome. I'm gonna have to wear a deer shirt now. I'm curious. I'm gonna wear a deer shirt and travel <laughs> around one day and be like, I want Al's reception. <laughs> you, you know, it's you know, it's actually pretty weird, man. I, I I think I was coming out of India. I was in Delhi, New Delhi, flying back, and um, a couple guys were like, "Hey, you're with Deer, and uh, can we take a picture?" And it just felt odd <laughs> but you accept it because you know there's dealers all around the world there's farmers all around the world and 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 they love our product so i i did you know i figured you know it's it may not be it may be a little weird for me because uh you know i'm on the engineering end but it's definitely not weird for them so i it was it was fun i thought so you you mentioned going around the globe meeting really cool pilots that love deer can the starfire network work on any farm around the world or is there certain things that have to be in place for uh, the system to work on, on a farm somewhere around the globe. No, that's the beautiful thing about the Starfire Network. It's global. So if you have a GPS receiver um, that is that is deer made, uh, you are able to use the Starfire Network and you are able to get the sub-inch accuracy no matter where you are. I want to stay on the receiver here for a minute because it's in the, it's in the Smithsonian. Peter Leibholp, the curator of the Smithsonian Institution's Division of Work and Industry, has called the original John Deere GPS receiver the steel plow of the 20th century. That is a very powerful statement from a very important institution. Could you reflect on that statement, please? You know, that's actually really awesome 
to even hear that we're even tied together with the Smithsonian. <laughs> I mean, that, that's great. But I think what, what Peter was saying is, is you know, hey, they, when they came out with the steel plow, um, it was innovation at the time. And, and so when I take a look at it, when I hear that type of statement, I think of us as what we are, as far as just being innovators, being some of the pioneers, being the folks that are, that are not afraid to take a chance. Um, you know, ag is ever changing. And, and sometimes when you're sitting there trying to design a product that is gonna be able to, to, to basically be universal within this wheelhouse as far as with agriculture, it, it can get tough at times. And so when you're taking a look at it, <clears throat> the way we look at things, we take a look at it, we do a deep dive, we're very qualitative. We want to make sure that we what we ever release has a lot of quality behind it. Um, so yeah, I, I think what he was looking at when he, what he was saying was that it, you know these guys are are like like innovation freaks when it comes to when it comes to the ag side. And I think and 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 I and I I agree. I, I think it's great. Just the fact that we're tied with someone saying um, anything with the Smithsonian. I, I you know I'm, I'm honored by it. And and staying on the theme of innovation freaks. John Deere, you've got self-driving tractors. You can make the argument that you had some of the earliest self-driving vehicles in the world. Does the Starfire network work hand-in-hand? -hand? Are they kind of, is it like peanut butter and jelly and they go together? How does that relationship work? It does. And that's a, that's a pretty cool term, peanut butter and jelly with that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it does go hand-in-hand. -hand. The, the, the Starfire network is, is sending out that, that GPS signal uh, so, it's, so it knows its correction and knows its location. And so they do work hand in hand together. As long as you got the GPS receiver on your tractor, your combine, whatever you're using, uh, you're you're able to you're able to utilize the network. Um, so yeah, it it no matter where you are, it can it can utilize it for sure. Does solar activity have any impact on the network at all? So not so much on the network itself, um, because the network is is kind of all tied to, tied together through you know transoceanic high speed internet and stuff like that. So that's all uh, physically connected. The, the part where solar kind of comes in at times um, is when you're transferring that information uh, from point to multipoint. So when we're blasting this, the, the actual position up to the geosynchronous uh, satellites and then transferring it down to the end user, to the farmer, that part is where a solar phenomenon can, take, can, have, can have some problems there. Um, scintillation is a, is a, is a, a, a tough area. Uh, for for anything you know GPS receiver based especially, and um, we have worked very hard uh, in trying to mitigate the effects of what simulation can bring uh, to the farmer as they're using our equipment. You know, designing you know choke ring style antennas to try to block out interference. Um, you know, designing uh, mechanisms within our tools within our GUI to try to account for how much scintillation or how big the phenomenon is. Uh, so there's areas that we've tried to combat that. Very tough, very tough to beat. Um, but, but there's areas that we try to combat it where we've lessened the blow. Does, during that time of uncertainty, is there any impact on the farmers or that you have a redundant systems in place that can help that farmer during that solar activity, which nobody can control? So it depends. Um, so in this case, if the farmer is equipped with, with, uh, with certain equipment, if, he's, if he or she's got maybe like a choke ring style antenna that they can use almost as like, almost like a base station, uh, that would help. Um, but, but generally speaking, you could still use the machinery because you're at that point, you're still receiving the satellite signal from redundant satellites. So you've still got a feed. Um, it's just when it hits the ground, uh, how is this phenomenon affecting the bounce? 
And so at, at, at times, depending upon where you are in the globe, the phenomenon can be more um, can be more harsh. And so if you see farmers in, let's say, you know, the southern portions of South America, it's a little tougher than than a farmer that is in the southern portions of North America. Um, so generally, you wouldn't see downtime. Uh, a lot of times it would just be the farmer would have to slow down work because they let the, the phenomenon pass. But generally, you wouldn't see downtime. Well, that's awesome. And then for over 20 years, John Deere has been investing and working on self-driving tractors. Why did Deere first say to invest in the technology and later commercialize it? Was it just going back to the culture of innovation? Is that what kind of drove that? And then having leadership that understands that we run a business, not a science project? That, that's what I want to say. I, I think they looked at it and said, hey, this is, we got something here. Um, we can expand on this. Uh, like I said, first ones to dive into it. 98, Starfire Network, started saying, hey, you know, this is something that, that, that can take off if we aim it in the right direction and we listen to the customers. We got an excellent dealer channel. Uh, they, they, they are excellent in terms of getting information from the customers, helping the customers out in the field, and then bringing that information back to us internal uh, in terms of what customers want to see. And so I give, like I said, I, I give us a bunch of credit in terms of how we would listen to the customer and just kind of follow suit. If we if it's something that we can we can implement, uh, then then let's do it, or at least let, at least let's try. Uh, and so I, I I love that part of it because it'll sound impossible when you're sitting there looking at the chartering document, and you're like, this is I'm not sure if we can do this. And then you start kind of fiddling with it, and you realize that this is something that you possibly could do. And and Deer's not afraid to invest in that area. So that's 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 what I that's how I feel. When you get intelligence from the dealer network, do they say, hey, Al, what if we took GPS and paired it with sensors? We, can we get this data? Can we get that data? Is it stuff that is highly targeted to increase the efficiency of their operations, that type of intel that you're getting from the dealer network? Yeah, at times it will be. At times it'll be something as simple as someone will say, hey, is there anything that you guys have that I can use less herbicide or I can use, you know, you know, anything less as far as nitrogen spraying on my plants. I don't want to run through my fields and, and spray all my plants. Or maybe I'm just aiming for weeds. Do you guys got anything like that? They may not know how to precisely put it, but they're asking for something specific that can basically speed up their day, make their, make their work a little bit easier. And then we'll look at it and say, hey, maybe that's not something we have, but we'll take that and we'll take it back to advanced engineering and we'll talk about it. Maybe there is something that we can, that we can do that can that can target that specific area. Um, then there's also the, the internal uh, industry studies where you would work with a consultant and they kind of go around and give you some of the information that they've heard. And, and you know, we do that very well too. We'll kind of listen in and we'll say, hey, this is kind of what the end user on the farm wants to see. This is what the farmer has been asking for for years. Uh, let's see if we can dive into it. And if we can't dive into it where it's something that, that, that we can do, then let's see if we can acquire someone that, uh, understands that landscape and can help navigate us through it. To me, this seems like it directly ties into the fact that Deere has employs more software engineers than mechanical engineers. Is Are you seeing more and more of what Deere's doing being driven by software? So for the farmer or the pesticides, well, we can write an algorithm for that. Can that help to determine the crop? Is that <laughs> that drive there from your customer feedback? A lot of it's from customer feedback. Um, a lot of it is from just, you know, Deere leadership vision. Uh, you would almost say it kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, it, it was funny to me because, you know, yeah, dear, you're, you're thinking 
you've got to have more mechanical engineers or the, the folks that understand the, the heavy metal more, right? But no, no, we, 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 we really have dove into the technology aspect of it. And we have a, just a bunch of uh, software engineers, system engineers, data scientists. I mean, you name it. And it's just, it's incredible to see. It's, it's different, but, but it, is, it is incredible to see. It's, it's great. Is the future for Deer integrating hardware and, and software? So it's, you, you have that beautiful Apple-like experience. So when your farmers are out there, it's Deer the whole way through. They can call you up. They can call somebody on the software side. And how is that kind of where you see Deer going? I, I do, I do. I, I, and I and we're, we're we're kind of we're kind of dabbling in it, and we're in it kind of today. Um, the farmer today can can essentially use you know a, a, along with the Starfire network and you know, along with some of the other things that we have, but they can essentially use their phone and use, um, it's a feature called like John Deere Operation Center, uh, where they can, they can utilize and see the work real time and, and data grab. So they're taking a look at this thing and they're saying, wow, you know what, hey, this particular tractor is not working as efficient as the other three tractors. Let me find out, make sure it's not the operator. Is it something that I got to get fixed? Is it something I got to get repaired? Uh, this is all real time and this is all stuff that they can upload to the cloud. So we're kind of dabbling in the IoT portion of it. I mean, these machines are really smart. Um, so so they, as far as, you know, grabbing data, uh, working with the different sensors. Uh, so we're, we're there. Um, but I can see us getting a little bit more innovative there, too, as well. Um, I love the fact that we, ne- we can sit there and say, we've got it. This works perfectly. This is exactly what we want. And we're done. No, we never say that, man. It's always like, we got it. This works perfectly, but what can we do to make this better? So we just never sit on our hands. And, and I think we're, we're dabbling in it now, but we're just going to get much better. Oh, that's going to be fun. Oh, boys, that's going to be fun. I, <laughs> I want to I mean, get a if, John Deere tractor now. <laughs> <laughs> if you just think of all the imaginary things that can happen, I mean, you, you look at uh, some of the you know, AutoTrack and AutoTrack RoseSense and uh, AutoTrack Vision, and you know, you got all these things. And then now we're, we're also dragging in AI. Right. So we're we're building in this, these these huge libraries of the different types of kernels, the different types of seeds, plants. Um, never saw that coming. Uh, what, maybe five, six years ago, at least not on my level. And so when you when you start seeing that coming in, it's like, wow, this is cool. At first at first thought, you're, you're thinking, eh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure we would use AI. And then now you're seeing where we would use it and tie it all together. Oh, it's great. This is this is this is I don't know how many more things you can put on a machine. Uh, to make it that much more smart and robust, but we're doing it. Things are becoming very fun at John Deere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. We had, um, during some of the interviews, uh, it is hilarious because people don't really know what to expect, right? So they see John Deere, um, and I'm speaking from a Southern Californian perspective because that's that's where I'm from, that's where I'm at. And uh, so someone comes in for an interview and they're like, hey, you know, I did some research online and I wasn't sure if I was reading about John Deere, but it's, it was talking about space and it was talking about all these different things and, and something about a network. And is that Deere? And <laughs> so you start telling them, yeah, that's us. And so you start explaining to them about some of the stuff that we do. They're so blown away um, that after usually those interviews, they, they're just like, man, you guys are like. I didn't know you were so technology driven and, and it, it's, it's something that we want to get out there and let people know that, yeah, we are technology driven. We are innovators. Um, and, and we're going to keep doing it. 
but it's it's just getting the name out there that we're not just heavy metal, right? It's not just a farming machine. It's it's been that, it's a it's a robot, and so we're wanting to get that that message out there as well. Yeah, you're not Iron Maiden. You're not Metallica. You're a tech company. <laughs> Pretty much, man, and that's what we're trying to send. That message is, I, I love uh, attending CES. Um, I love the reactions that we get. People are walking through the hall and they see this big machine and and they'll what are you guys doing here? <laughs> First question we always get at the booth, what are you guys doing here? And then we start explaining to them about the technology and what's in what's involved with some of the the machinery that they see and they're blown away. They they, they didn't even realize that AG was doing uh, a you know self, you know semi-autonomous vehicles was using GPS didn't realize it was that much precision. I just, it, it's just, it's just a, it's an educational, you know, study when they get there in terms of, wow, I didn't know you guys did this. Could you take me through all of it? Uh, how did this start? I mean, people are just blown away by it. The, the ag business is, is really cool. And, and how did it start? I want to take a step back here and ask you, how did it start with you? Why did you want to become an engineer? What did you build something really cool and said, "Wait, I did this with my hands"? And I want to. What started you on that magical journey to get you where you are today? It's a funny question, Grayson. I had no intention of being an engineer. <laughs> never, never <laughs> crossed my mind. I mean, for God's sakes, I was a strong side linebacker <laughs> for, for the for the for the school that I played for, and uh, but I always had a thing for electronics. So. Um, you know, dish installation and and uh, my my neighbor uh, he used to work for a, 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 an ATM company and so they used to go out and fix the ATMs and so sometimes he'd bring some of his work home and so I would I would dabble and try to help him out because some of those ATMs were really heavy so he needed help and I, I used to love the electronic side of it not so much the mechanical side because they're kind of mechanical as well but the electronic side of it used to intrigue me like how he would set it all up and I'd watch him you know use his tools and I'm just like man this is really cool. Um, I used to try to dabble in like VCR repair or fix my mom's TV. You know, that didn't always work as well either, but I did try it. And so as, as I was going through, uh, through high school, I was like, you know what? I, I, I think this is something I want to do. Now, I didn't know what I was going to turn it into. I didn't realize that, you know, I was going to keep striving and, and go all the way to be an engineer. But I was like, you know, I, I, I can turn this into something. I actually like doing it. It's not as strenuous on the body as football. <laughs> so, so maybe <laughs> I think I could do this. And so I jumped into school for it and, and um, didn't realize how hard that was. Uh, that was that was very tough. Uh, I, I, it's, it's almost as if I can try to give you a comparison. It's, so when you, when you play pickup football or pickup basketball, um, it's pretty easy, right? Then you get into the organized aspect of it. You're given, you're given pads, you're given a helmet, you're given a playbook. It's not as fun or easy as it was when you just showed up at the park and played. And so when I got into the engineering school, I was kind of like, man, this is not fixing a VCR or messing around with my, you know, my neighbor's ATM machine. This is, uh, this is real. And so you had to learn everything as far as the componentry and all that stuff. And so I never saw it coming, um, but I didn't run from it. And, and that's what I try to tell a lot of the younger kids that I talk to today is, you know, it's intimidating when you when you start seeing some of the stuff that you got to some of the classes that you got to take and some of the curriculum that's involved. Um, but but yeah, I, I just wasn't a very good quitter. And so and so I just would just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And uh, and gosh, it worked out, it worked out. I mean, I have no quarrels about 
uh, how much I used to bang my head against the wall when I was trying to get some of this work done uh, today. So no, it's been cool. You you fully embraced it, and your story is very similar to, uh, to a gentleman in the record business, Kevin Lyles. He became president and CEO of Def Jam, and he slept under his desk, and he never gave up. And he wrote this book, "You Can Do It," and he um, he never gave up. He fully embraced it and, and leaned into it to what it was like to become a record executive, and he became really successful. And that was during the heyday of Def Jam. So you embraced it, you leaned in. How can we get more children to follow that path and say, listen, this might be a difficult road. It might be hard. You're going to learn a lot on the way. You're going to have your bumps and your bruises, and you're going to go from, from pickup ball to commercial ball. But how do we encourage them? You didn't give up. Kevin didn't get up. You both made it happen. How can we encourage more children to make it happen? One of the things that um, I really like that Deer's doing now, and I, I'm actually part of, is we, we got a STEM program, which... Um, didn't see much of that back in my day, uh, as far as the STEM program, but it seems like nowadays uh, STEM programs are picking up, and, and Deer is very, very versed in STEM programs. Um, mine, mine's, it, it's, I got a pretty unique, quick story on that. Is So I live physically in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, I work here in, in California, uh, Torrance, California. But So Deer called me up and said, hey, um, we usually don't do STEM programs in areas, you know, where, where we're not, we don't have an office, we're kind of established, but there's a school in, the, in Las Vegas that is applying uh, for this, for this robotics challenge and, and STEM program. Are you interested in being their coach? It'd be the first in, it'll be the first in Nevada if you're interested in doing that. And I said, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. So I went down to the school and I went to go have a conversation with the kids and, and, the, and their coach and and one of the things I was telling them, I was like, look, this is, this is going to get to the point where you're going to go, this is impossible <laughs> in terms of what you're working on. But never look at it as you can't do it, right? There's always got to be a way that you possibly can do it. Um, but, but are you looking in the right areas? You know. And sometimes what I was trying to tell the kids is have fun with it. Uh, a lot of people we stress, and, and I, I didn't start understanding the aspect of engineering until I started having fun with it and not just sit there and stress, you know, stress out over some of the work that we had to do. Um, and so some of the times the kids will look at me and they're like, yeah, there's nothing fun about, you know, trying to figure out the logarithm of how to make this robot go straight and lift its arm and dunk a basketball. So, 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 <laughs> so but as time went on, when I would show up uh, on Fridays and just kind of work with them and joke around and just kind of have fun with it, they started to realize, ah, oh, that's what he means by have fun with it. And so what I, what I was trying to do, Grayson, is just kind of show them that it doesn't always have to be serious. It doesn't always have to be strenuous. Look at your team members. It's kind of like your extended family. Um, and just have fun with it. No one in the room is stupid, okay? We're going to ask questions that you're going to probably say, this might be a stupid question. No such thing. Just ask the question. We're a room full of young people that can do possibly anything and, and I always used to tell them, dude, you guys can probably make the impossible possible. And, and especially today's youth, because you guys are versed in, in internet and in, in, you know, in use of social media. And I, I think this, this helps with, with, the, with the career path. So yeah, it's one of those things where I try to stress that. Just, just have fun with it, man. And, and it, it's been working, it's been working. Our team was pretty successful. Uh, I think we scored second in the, the regional challenge out of Houston. Um, and I mean, I was, I was so proud of them is it's, 
something that in the beginning they said it was impossible. And I was like, eh, I don't know. You know we'll, we'll, I'll, when we get to a part that looks impossible, I'll let you know. <laughs> but they tackled it, man. And it's been, it's, it's been great. It's been great. Nothing's impossible for those children. The world, their oysters and up now. Was there a magical moment during that experience where a child had a, an engineering breakthrough or said, you know what, I'm going to embark on a career in engineering because I thought this was hard. I thought this was impossible. No, Al, Al said it was cool and Al's right. I'm doing it. There, there, there was, um, and it was more magical in terms of engineering as well as leadership. So there was a, a young lady on the team. She was one of three um, uh, girls that were on the team. The team was mostly all guys. And it seemed like she knew the most, but she was the quietest. And um, I would I would always kind of see her in the back, and and then but then she would make a recommendation. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, that would that that's what yeah, that sounds good. So I pulled her aside and, and I was like, hey, uh, you seem to have some big time respect with your peers, but but I don't see you say much. Um, is there any reason why? And and I think what she was trying to get across to me was. I'm still trying to feel my way through this because uh, it's it's mostly guys, and I don't know how they would take to me telling them, um, you know, what to do, how to do it, when to do it, that sort of thing. And I told her, you know, if 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 you do it respectfully, um, you're already respected because I, they can they can see you're very smart. But if you come across just respectfully, but have fun with it, I I I think I think you can take this somewhere. Um, and she kind of went into the, the the whole specifications of possibly trying to be the first person in her family to to go to college and all this other stuff. And so I was really pushing her. So that was the very first year I met them, right? So the following year, I, I come back and you know everybody's jazzed to to do you know part two of of this whole robotics challenge. And guess who the leader is? I mean, she was she was barking at people and she was telling them what to do, and it was awesome to see Grace. And I was like. I mean, from someone who was super quiet to, to, hey, I need you to do this and I need these parts and we're not doing this right. And oh, excellent job. And I'm just like, <laughs> it made me feel great because I was like, you know, this is something that I was really pushing for her to do. And I asked her, I was like, is this something that you could see yourself doing? And she's like, she's like, yeah. She's like, I, I really, I really like this. I really appreciate you telling me not to be afraid just to, just to come out and say it. And she goes, I really like this engineering stuff. And, and, and I hope she stays with it. I'm, I'm going to really, really try to help uh, in that area. Once we get past all this pandemic stuff and schools start opening back up, uh, I'm hoping that, that, uh, that she's still part of the program and she stays with it because it was a giant leap from one year to another. You had an incredible positive impact on her life and she's going to go on to be one of the leaders of tomorrow because you show leadership, Al. You rolled your sleeves up and, and you dedicated your time to go down there and you talked to her because nothing's impossible and I can't wait to see what she goes on to build or what career she goes on to because it started with you it started with that you cared and that makes the big difference and we've heard throughout this conversation you deeply care and you're passionate about this technology you're on you were on the forefront of GPS and now you're giving back in your community and it's special Al it it, it truly truly is special I appreciate that Grayson thank you in putting this all in, in, into context, I'd love to know, what does the future of farming look like? Well, I, I think you said it earlier. It's going to get fun. Um, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> the, the, 
we've had conversations. I think a lot of times people at CES were asking us, hey, when are these, when are these tractors going to drive themselves? When are you not going to need anybody in them? And, and it, it's weird to think about it, but we are not that far away from something like that. Uh, today, these tractors are semi-autonomous. These vehicles drive themselves with an operator in them, just in case something kind of goes haywire. But, but when do you get to that point where you don't need the operator in there, the operator can now do some other things? And, and so I think the future of where we're going with ag, um, a lot of it aims there. Um, a lot of it is going to be AI, you know, as far as, as far as this artificial intelligence, learning the field, learning the crop, learning the, cor- the kernel. I mean, it's, it, it's going to just get better over time because as a lot of groups are just kind of dabbling in it now, and it's just going to get more defined. Uh, precision ag is always going to be there. Um, we're the foundation of, of a lot of the sensors and the cameras that are used today. Because uh, it all works in conjunction with the 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 uh, the GPS system itself, so we got our work cut out for us though. Because I think I read I read something uh, something about something the you know USDA or or the United Nations had said something by by 2050, um, you know, it's, it, food consumption is going to jump up like 70 percent or something like that. You know, because obviously the you know population growth. And so farmers are going to have to double their output. And I'm thinking, wow, okay, this is, this almost sounds impossible, but <laughs> we've said that before several times on this, on this show. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's all possible. And, and we're already at the door of, of, of wanting to do this and make things easier on the farmer as time goes on. So that's our, that's our goal is that's, that's what's being set. That's what po- folks are talking about. So how can we help? of the farmer in this ag space get to that and not be stressed about it. But I think you, back in the day, you used to say it's quality or it's quantity. Which one do you want, right? And, and now it's, you can have both. And, and it's, a, it's a really good feeling. So I can see us going that route and I can see the ag space going that route as far as just, you know, presumptive robotics, um, innovation, and of course, being able to keep up with the demand. You will be able to keep up with the demand. Deer's lucky to have you because nothing is impossible. You and the entire leadership of the company are going to continue to do good things. We are going to ensure that there is no food shortage because John Deere will continue to innovate and build the products that we need to to feed the global population. And now, as we look to wrap up this extremely insightful conversation, what would you like the listeners to take away with them? Just to know that... um, From an innovation standpoint, that John Deere is a is a you know big time technology company. Um, I know what you may think when you hear that you know John Deere. Oh, hey, you're the tractor company. Yeah, we're 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 tractors and technology, and and I want folks to understand that um, the wave of the future in ag, it, it's almost it's almost imperative to to you to kind of jump on, maybe Google it, just kind of learn where it's going kind of see what some of these farmers have been doing um, as we start to dive into vehicle navigation, autonomous vehicle navigation out here on the roads. Um, not all of it was brand new technology. Some of it's already been done. Um, yes, not as, you know, variableistic as this, but, but, um, but it, the, the, the technology was there and, and, it's, and it's been used and, it's, and it was being used since 98, 99. 
and it was being used by us, <laughs> by John Deere. So uh, don't look so surprised when you see us at uh, you know technology shows or or when we're talking tech. Um, I, we we've uh, we've shown that we kind of know what we're doing, and and that can be to your your general novice or even to the the youth today. Um, to take a look at technology, take a look at engineering. It doesn't have to be with Deere. Just in terms of engineers, uh, it, it, it may be tough. It may look like a tough road, but uh, we can use you. Um, and that's kind of where the world's going. So, yeah, by all means, both of those messages. Strong technology company. We're not just a big green machine. And, you know, the youth, please uh, dabble into what engineering can bring you. I think, I think you'll be surprised what, what it turns out to be. I can't wait to see you at CES and see what what Deere is going to show off this year because engineers make the world go round. If it wasn't for engineers, we wouldn't drive our cars. We wouldn't get on our planes. Right. We wouldn't farm the land. So engineers make the world go round. Today is tomorrow. Tomorrow is today. And I'm very proud to say John Deere is an innovative company. Al, thank you so much for coming on SAE tomorrow today. I, this was really insightful, heart-wrenching, and powerful. And thank you again so much. I appreciate it, Grayson. Thanks for having me on, and I, this this has been fun. We got to do this again, and and I can't wait to see it at CES as well. That's going to be a lot of fun, also. <laughs> we're gonna, it's post pandemic, and and we're going to have a good time. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Thanks again, Al. I appreciate it, Grayson. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow today. Join us next time when we drive into renewable energy with Adam Langton, Energy Services Manager of Connected E Mobility with BMW North America. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next by emailing us at podcast at sae.org. That's podcast at sae.org. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn to stay connected and continue the conversation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.